0: 如果真超过美国了 那就多生几个孩子, 呵呵, 多生几个小孩,
1: Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. Today is Tuesday, August 17th. I'm David Kestenbaum.
0: And I'm Khanna Jaffe-Waltz. And that was Liu Lin, a 30-year-old accountant in Beijing, who was talking about what she would do if the Chinese economy keeps growing. Today, a special podcast from the future, when the U.S. economy is projected to be no longer number one.
1: We're number two. We're number two.
0: David's practicing for what we'll all be cheering at the Olympics. First, before we get there, we need to do our Planet Money Indicator, and we are excited today that Jacob Goldstein is back with us, newly a father. Congratulations.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And what's our Planet Money Indicator?
2: Today's Planet Money Indicator is 89%. In the first half of this year, the federal government guaranteed 89% of all of the mortgages issued in this country— In other words, the government is basically saying to the institutions, lending money to all those homeowners, don't worry. If the people buying houses don't pay you back, we'll make good on their
1: debts. That seems really high. That says to me the government is super involved in the housing market. What was
2: it like before? Yeah, it, it is really high. You know, So if you go back to 2003, say, it was about 54 percent. Before the bubble. Uh, yeah, basically before the bubble. Then in 2006, say, when the bubble is really pumping along, the private market is pushing in. The government is backing about 30 percent of mortgages. So, so really, you know, the government has been a big player in the mortgage market for a long time. But right now, with this 89 percent figure, really what we're Seeing is the government is sort of holding up the whole housing market with these guarantees. I should add here by the way that I got all these numbers that i 'm throwing around from Guy Sakala. He publishes a trade publication called Inside Mortgage Finance
1: OK, so the government guarantees mortgages mostly through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which the government took over during the crisis, spent more than one hundred billion dollars to bail them out. We're talking about this today because Treasury is having a public meeting bringing in experts to try and hash out ideas about what should happen to Fannie and Freddie. What should the future be? They've kind of been in limbo since the government took them over.
2: And this is a really big open question. You know, basically everybody says, well, this can't go on the way it is now. But nobody really has a clear answer to this basic question, what should the government's role in the housing market be? You know, there are certainly some people on one end of the spectrum who say the government should just get out of the market, let prices fall, and they'll find some natural bottom. And then you sort of move along the spectrum from there. You know, maybe the government should guarantee mortgages for first-time home buyers, or maybe it should offer some kind of second-tier mortgage insurance that's a backstop for a private market, or, you know, maybe the government should keep guaranteeing lots of mortgages. I think the key thing right now at this moment is to keep this 89% figure in mind as, as this discussion goes on for the next few months to remind us that... Whatever the housing market is right now, it's basically a function of the government support.
0: Great. Thank you, Jacob.
1: Thanks, guys. So, Hana, another amazing number from this week. China became the second largest economy in the world. It just overtook Japan. China is growing really fast. Japan is not. And now China is number two.
0: And who, just, just so I can hear it, who's number one, David?
1: I'm going to back away from the microphone. USA!
0: <laughs> USA! So China is now larger than Japan, but both countries are still way behind the U.S. today in 2010. They're both, like, distant seconds. U.S. GDP is around $15 trillion. China and Japan both are down around $5 trillion, So we're three times larger than both countries. And Japan will probably stay back there, but China will probably not. All signs point to a near future where China overtakes the U.S.,
1: and so, listeners, let's try this podcast again.
0: 听众们, 大家好, hello and welcome to NPR's Planet, Planet Money. Today is 2040 August 17th, 2040. 2040. Hey, Hanna. In
1: 2040, I have a great career doing voiceovers.
0: <laughs> okay, so it's a new podcast. It's 2040. China is the largest economy in the world. And we called Adam Posen, economist at the Peterson Institute, to see what it looks like out there, not in terms of numbers, but to have him just tell us what does the world now look like? And he actually had a list ready. He said, three things, three things are different.
3: The first is you would wander around large parts of China. In fact, you wouldn't have to because they would be dominating large parts of the media in that world, large parts of the internet. And you would see parts of China that, in terms of development and technology, look exactly identical to U.S. cities. So that would be the first thing. Um, Second, there would be a sense of this international buzz, not just at these summits and G20 meetings, but just in terms of be it the Olympics or be it... They They almost beat us in the last Olympics. I was just looking at the medal count. It was close. Yeah, and so you start putting together as much money and sophistication with a larger population. You know, presumably they start winning things.
1: Does this mean also that we end up watching a lot of uh, Chinese
3: television with subtitles? Probably, or maybe dubbing. I don't know. Culturally, if really, there's, you
0: really think we're going to be watching The Bachelor in Chinese?
3: Uh, I don't know if it would be The Bachelor, but there's going to be an awful lot of bachelors in China because they got many more men than women, so it's going to be pretty competitive. You can imagine a pretty nasty reality show about that.
1: All right, so that was uh, was that thing number one
3: or thing number two? It was
0: number two, right?
3: Okay. Right. Thing number one was that they're going to look a lot more like us in terms of their environment. Thing number two is they're going to be a lot more dominant in cultural things in the U.S., a lot less so. Thing number three is there's going to be a great deal of angsting. What did we do wrong? Can we learn from the Chinese? The Chinese way to success, um, all of which will be probably irrelevant or at least cease to have been relevant about 20 years before 2030. But you know, that will be the wave in the U.S. at that point.
1: So we'll be sort of like England. We'll have developed a very good, slightly sarcastic sense of humor about how we used to be great but weren't so great anymore.
3: That's the way of all things. I mean, the Spanish had to do that after the 1700s. The French had to do that after the 1800s. The British had to do that after the 1900s. So, yeah, everybody gets their turn.
0: So they're going to walk around cities that look like Los Angeles. We're going to be watching The Bachelor in Chinese, and we're going to be funnier.
1: Basically, yeah. See, Hana, it's not so bad.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It just feels like a big deal. China, the largest economy in the world, doesn't sound sort of scary to you?
1: I don't know, because it means U.S. the second largest economy?
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I, I've been trying to figure out if I'm just feeling unsettled because it's unknown. You know, the U.S. has been the largest economy for a really long time. Or is there something really to worry about? So I've been thinking about it. And Posen, Posen was talking in lists. So I can think of four things that actually make me nervous about this future. Okay. Okay. So number one, I mean, I think it's just our instinct to think that the global economy sort of works like a monopoly game, which we've been playing a lot at Planet Money. So more money for them means less money for us.
1: Right. Though economically speaking, that's not true, right? What happens is the whole pie gets bigger. And, you know, maybe we're going to like Chinese TV. We'll certainly like the new life-saving drugs that are invented by Chinese scientists. And this is a point Wing Taiwu made to us. He's an economist at UC Davis. He says, in a lot of ways, a richer China is good
4: for us. It's not a zero-sum game. In fact, uh, we want the Chinese to be rich, educated, and prosperous so that they become innovative like us. Then they can contribute to the global stock of knowledge That would make us all better off. We want them, they are scientists, to be working on questions like uh, clean energy, control of diseases.
0: But don't they then also become competitors to us?
4: Well, I would say a rising tide raises all ship.
0: Okay, so the richer they get, the better off everyone is. I can buy that. There's no limited... Monopoly money. But that does not seem true for the earth, (laughs) like for the environment. If China keeps growing as it has been and becomes more like us in the U.S., it's going to be emitting more greenhouse gases like us. And we can't do that. That's bad for us and for China and for everyone.
1: Okay, so that's number two. And I think a fair concern. It's something both economists mentioned to us. Number three?
0: Number three. Okay, so number three, it's not just that it feels good to be important, right? There's a real power that comes with our importance. When people feel panicky about the global economy and they worry about where to put their money, they come to us. They buy U.S. bonds. We are the world's mattress.
1: I asked Adam Posen what would happen if the almighty dollar were replaced with the almighty yuan. I mean, we do have this advantage right now that we're the largest economy and, you know, we're the reserve currency, right? When the rest of the world freaks mm-hmm. out and they want to buy something safe, they buy dollars or U.S. Treasury, right? And that gives us, that that's useful for us economically, right? It means it's cheap for the U.S. government to borrow money through treasuries. You know, there's some advantage to that, to being number one and not number two or number three.
3: Um, Absolutely. And China is not necessarily going to displace that because they have to not only be big they have to have capital markets that you're confident you can get your money in and out of that are very deep and liquid so the prices don't jump all around all of which is true of treasuries so you know china could be very very big and not become a reserve currency i mean japan's been the second biggest economy for 30 years and the yen never became a reserve currency what if we did lose that though it would be painful, but it wouldn't be disastrous. Again, it you know, in a worst case scenario, one could imagine some of the government bond interest rates go up a little, which isn't wonderful. But it that's not really a big thing.
0: So David, let's just review my worry list here. So China getting richer doesn't mean I get poorer. We don't have to worry about that. In fact, that's probably good for all of us. Number two, the environment, the environment is a real concern. Number three, our special place in the global economy as the reserve currency. Posen says not the end of the world. But I've got one more thing I'm worried about it's a little a little harder to characterize, but I, I'm just worried like I don't know, I'm worried about the relationship. <laughs>
1: Please. <laughs> Laugh you You're no, laughing at me. No one's going anywhere.
0: No, no. But I mean, they buy our bonds. We use that money to buy their stuff. This has been the way our relationship has worked for a while. And in, in this relationship, we both need each other.
1: Well, relationships change. Maybe we don't buy as much from China. We buy from someone else or we start dating someone else. They buy someone else's bonds a little bit. But don't worry. I guarantee everyone is going to want to see Avatar 16. I just saw it and it was great. Here's Adam
3: Posen. You know, you will have to get somebody else who's going to tell you bad things are going to happen because of China. I'm, I'm just not that worked up right. about it. Yeah, for, just... the, for, the, for the Chinese woman, I think the important thing to recognize is think of your grandmother, okay? Um, she saw such a transformation in technology in the world around her and the wealth. Telephone, television, air conditioning, cars, computers, uh, antibiotics, all these things that didn't exist for them that now do. And- That's not going to be so much the case for the 35-year-old American, but that is going to be hugely still the case for the 35-year-old Chinese person, unless she happens to be one of the richest people in Shanghai right now. All those kinds of things are going to come and change her life over the next 30 years as China grows, and that will be the big change.
1: Hannah, I feel like we've gone too far in the podcast without mentioning this important fact, which is that... Even if China grows and becomes the largest economy on earth, people like Liu Ling, the woman you heard at the top of the podcast in China, she is still going to be poorer than her American counterparts because GDP is a measure of the total output of the country. And China has four times as many people as we do. So the economy as a whole is going to be big. That matters in terms of global influence, but it doesn't really tell you how the people inside the country are doing.
0: Right, because China's wealth is spread out over more than a billion people. For instance, if their GDP equaled ours today... Their GDP per person would be close to Equatorial Guinea or Hungary, $20,000 per person as compared with the U.S., which is $46,000.
1: Wing Taiwu, the economist, goes back and forth to China about eight times a year between these two worlds. And he's well acquainted with how Americans and Chinese feel about their relative positions in the world. And he says when Americans panic about China's growth, people in China worry.
4: They say, why are you so suspicious of us? You think we are out to get you? That, that is the first thing. Because they have had a history of, uh, you know, the, the whole reason why China shuts itself out up after 1949 is because uh, it felt that it has gotten nothing but grief from the outside world. So it's like, a, I don't want to have much to do with you. But then what it did was that action ensure that the country stay poor because they miss out on many of the great technological innovations that happens around the world. So now they have come to rejoin the world and they are getting rich, but there is still this uh, uh, chip on, my, on, on their shoulder of that you had mistreated us in the past, and now when we start getting rich, you are in fear of us. What is there? To fear about us, and and since you fear us, are you going to do something that will prevent us from catching up with you?
0: David, I I have to say, it doesn't seem like we have much say in the matter. Anyway, if China keeps growing, this is going down. This will happen. China will become the largest economy on earth.
1: I can think of one thing we can do. What's that? Well, since it's basically a population game, I think we should merge with Canada.
0: Canada? I think you're going to have to merge with, like, Mexico and Canada and maybe Brazil.
1: Hang on. Let me look up Brazil. Oh, you're right. It's only 191 million. (laughs) We're going to have to merge with India.
0: Yeah. (laughs) India, right. India will get us there.
1: I have another idea, though, which is that we could change the rules. Instead of ranking countries by GDP, we rank by GDP per capita.
0: David, (laughs) I have bad news for you. What? I've seen that GDP per capita list, and we are not, at the top of it, we're not number one.
1: Who's number one?
0: It's Qatar. And then Luxembourg, according to the IMF, we are number six. We're number six. We're number six. I could get behind
1: that.
4: (laughs)
0: You can see that list that shows you GDP per capita on our blog, npr.org slash money.
1: And you can send us email, planetmoney at npr.org. Special thanks today to Louisa Lim, NPR China correspondent and her assistant who got us the tape at the top.
0: And to Jess Zhang, our new production assistant. We're very excited to have her. She has many skills in addition to speaking Mandarin, which you heard on this podcast today. I'm Khana Jaffe-Walt.
1: And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening.
3: That's